When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Longhorn Notebook. And that Longhorn Notebook, in this case, being a baseball-related Longhorn Notebook. Um, There's a couple of different things to get to about this game and the game tonight. Uh, Texas wins last night. Great crowd. Great atmosphere. Um, The ballpark itself, I believe, seats in the neighborhood seats, counting bleacher seats and things like that, and General Mission and, and Ty Harrington can certainly... Uh, correct me on this, but I, I want to say it's like 3,200 or 3,100, right around in that area. And the official announced attendance last night, I believe, was 3,425 uh, or something like that. And I'm here to tell you there were there were a lot more people than that because you had uh, people beyond the outfield fences. And that included beyond the left field fence where there were a lot of fans that were kind of peering through that open slot there in the left field fence that were on the Texas State softball field. Now, there was one other interesting little wrinkle about that. When the game was first starting, it was going to the bottom of the first inning. And Kobe Minchie goes out to do his warm-up tosses. And they stop play before he even takes a warm-up toss. The home plate umpire, Jason Millsap, and the first base uh, umpire, uh, Doug Williams, and the third base umpire, Clayton Hamm. And they're in a conversation. And at first, I didn't know what it was, but leave it to an old baseball sage like Keith Moreland. He knew exactly what it was all about. Uh, And I don't know if they mentioned this, if our our good friend Brant Freeman, who was calling the telecast uh, on ESPN+, Plus, the Texas State telecast working with Ty Harrington, uh, about that, and uh, in fact, somebody had, uh, yeah, somebody had uh, texted in on the Specs text line and said, "When I tune in the game, I flip back and forth with volume on your broadcast on TexasSports.com and on ESPN Plus. The play-by-play guy on ESPN Plus sounds much older than he looks. He looks like a student, but he did an outstanding job, just like you. Of course, thanks very much. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Brant Freeman is an outstanding play-by-play guy, and uh, he does he handles the ESPN Plus." home telecast for Texas State. And I've had him sub uh, when we needed him uh, to fill in on a couple of uh, Texas women's basketball broadcasts in the past. He has also, I had him fill in on uh, UIL State Baseball uh, State Championship that I had to miss one year when uh, Texas was uh, playing in the Super Regional. Uh, so uh, Brand is, is is a fine broadcast talent and, and works well together uh, with uh, Ty Harrington. Now, I don't know if Brant and Ty mentioned this, but Keith Moreland noticed it. <clears throat> the, what what the umpires were talking about was beyond the left field fence, there were people that were massed in on the softball field that were watching through the fence, and that was cool. And for those who couldn't get a good view of that, there were several other that kind of just kind of milled over there and made their way into that. The game was put up on the big screen in the softball field, but it presented a problem. Because the center field camera would show 
Kobe Minchie getting ready to throw his pitches with Ryland Galvan was catching last night for Texas. And it was very, very visible from the Texas State dugout. And you say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is you can see signs that way. So the umpires took note of this, made comment uh, to the Texas State dugout and said, hey, you know, that could present an unfair event. So they, they did. They turned off the screen and, and the game went on uh, on that. So, But my point was is that the fans had been beyond the left field fence. They were all gathered around. It reminded me a little bit of the Super Regional last year. If you remember watching on television, especially if you were there in Greenville, North Carolina, when they played East Carolina, how the fans are stacked rows deep beyond the outfield fence. So I knocked my microphone to the side, waving my hands. I do talk with my hands a lot. Um, and fans were massed in several rows behind the outfield fence all the way around from the left field foul line all the way to the right field foul line, several rows deep. It was quite a sight to behold in Greenville last year where they had that. I mean, you talk about a home field advantage. That was pretty cool. And for Texas to be able to overcome that and win that Super Regional made it all the more uh, impressive. Uh, but they had fans beyond. They kind of reminded me of that, those who were able to gather beyond that left field fence, down the right field line. Uh, you know, I know Aaron Hogan was hanging out by the caboose down there. Uh, somebody sent me a camera shot of, of, uh, of E. Hogan standing there by the rail. It looked like he had a Bud Light in his hand, and he was, of course, of course. <laughs> he was watching, watching the action uh, there. So uh, it was a great environment, a great house. And, and a sellout and all that uh, sort of thing. And, and by the way, somebody else uh, said uh, Freeman gave you and all the radio crew a shout-out last night on the telecast. Like I said, they're good good guys, and, and Brant Freeman is a, a, a tremendous broadcaster. And um, uh, he, he'll be doing Texas State softball uh, tonight. Clint Shields handles the radio calls for Texas State baseball. And Clint will be calling the game tonight, and um, Brant, because he has the softball duty, won't be able to work with him on the broadcast. So none other than Bill Shoning. How about that? We'll, we'll step in. So I'm looking forward to seeing William Joseph Shoning over at UFCU Dishfar Field this evening when they play. All right, so the Longhorns, you know, they get the uh, – Kobe Minchie walks out there. This is a guy – it's a fascinating story, by the way. Uh, I think so, anyway. Uh, Kobe – is the son of a uh, former, albeit brief, former major leaguer and who played in Japan in the Pacific Rim, Nate Minchie, who is from the greater Austin area and graduated from Pflugerville. So Nate uh, played in the bigs for a little bit, spent a lot of his career uh, overseas, including in Japan where Kobe was born. And... uh, then and then the family moved back over here. Kobe was homeschooled, and um, uh, has identified as his hometown, transferred hometown, Gerald. And 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 Jeff Howell did say to me last night. Okay, I have to say something nice about Gerald because of Kobe Minchie. <laughs> as much as it may may grate on Jeff, he'll say something nice about Gerald because that's where Kobe uh, calls his now transferred or adopted hometown you know like I said he was born overseas but but that's where he grew up but he was homeschooled and uh and then of course was playing club ball I think playing with the story he was playing in Waco and and I even asked David Pierce yesterday I said where'd you find him how'd you find him and and Kobe had only pitched one inning of relief 
Uh, he's a freshman. He don't, and, and it was impressive when he did it. It was a week ago today against Air Force, and that was his first ever collegiate appearance. And he sat down all three batters he faced. So this is before the game, and he's about to make his first collegiate start. And so I'm asking David Pierce, A, you know, uh, why here instead of home to start for his first collegiate start? And, and and where'd you find him? Have, have, you know, and I know there's a network of you know between uh, coaches and scouts and people like that. You know, word gets around on guys. He said, uh, I thought it was interesting. He said, and he said this on the pregame interview. He thinks that uh, Coach Pierce thinks that it it is more difficult sometimes for a guy to make his first start or a freshman, a young player, to play at home than on the road. Because they might feel a little extra added self-imposed pressure that they as coaches try to relieve and tell them don't worry about that sort of stuff. He said sometimes it's easier for them to do that on the road, to go and, and, uh, and play on the road. So Kobe Minchin goes out there and gives up a double right out of the box at, uh, in the uh, bottom of the first. But he worked his way out of trouble in the first. Had a little spot in the second, worked his way out of trouble in the second and the third, and and did a did a tremendous job. He really did. They were they were hoping maybe to get a couple, maybe three. Well, you'll hear David Pierce talk about it. So I, I think it's a pretty interesting story. And he also gave um, you know David Pierce and and uh, Woody Williams uh, a, a bit of a look at how he might be able to help this this ball club going forward from the pitching staff. And in the answer to the question about how'd you find him, whatever, so on and so forth. Word had gotten around, and uh, they had heard about him. Uh, Steve Rodriguez knew uh, knew about him coming down uh, from Baylor. Uh, Woody Williams knew about him even uh, down at San Jack. So word gets around, and so they went and saw him, and they liked what they saw. And now he's a Texas Longhorn, and he had a pretty impressive performance. Longhorns also did the clutch hitting. Jack O'Dowd had that uh, two-out hit. Yes, he poked it through the hole on the left side. I'm going to stick with that. He did. Uh, they got a couple of runs home uh, after the first run scored on a bases-loaded walk to Ryland Galvan, and that was after they intentionally walked Porter Brown to load the bases. And then Galvan uh, draws a walk and brings in a run, and then after that, uh, O'Dowd with a two-run single. So they scored three there, and defense does an awful lot of work. Defense has really been playing well of late, you had a sinking liner caught, uh, uh, and, and, and the Longhorns, of course, were having to, to refashion, if you will, the outfield a little bit. Um, you know, uh, had to do that a, a little bit because of uh, the suspension of Eric Kennedy, couldn't play after being ejected from the game on Sunday against Kansas State. So Dylan Campbell moved from right field to center field, and Ace Whitehead started in right field. Now, Ace, or Boogie, as his teammates know him, is going to get the start on the mound tonight for Texas. But uh, he started last night in right field. And then there were other substitutions made as the game progressed as well. But there was a nice catch uh, by Dylan Campbell on a sinking liner. And then Porter Brown makes one of the best defensive plays they've made the entire season. Uh, if you were listening to the highlight montage, you heard me say, hey, it's probably going to curve out of play. He runs it down in the corner, turns around, and fires a strike all the way back across the field, and they get it to first and double off um, 
Jose Gonzalez to end the inning. Turns out to be a double play. It was a huge play in the game. So they had that defense. Heston Toll did a tremendous job in his three innings of relief. Chris Stewart uh, looked good until he got in a little bit of trouble after one and two-thirds inning. Zane Morehouse, hey, they call him Nightmare. It works both ways. Zane gave up a triple to the first guy. But the kid, as, as Keith Moreland pointed out, the kid is sitting dead red fastball on the first pitch and drives it to the to uh, the center field wall. So two inherited runners score. That made it 5-2. to two. But then Morehouse settles in. He gets a strikeout at the end of the game, works a 1-2-3 ninth, and that's in that. That's that. So all of that uh, on the mind of head coach David Pierce when he visited with Keith Moreland after the game. I love games where everybody in your club gets involved. And this is another one of those games where everybody got involved. I thought Kobe was good to start the game. I thought you got a really good – Heston did a great job. And then Chris, really, that's the best we've seen him in a while. And then you got guys coming off the bench getting big hits. It was just a team victory. Yeah, you know, that's what this team has really becoming. I mean, never knew what we were going to get out of Mincy. We were hoping two solid, maybe three. And he was outstanding. And Heston did his thing. And you could always rely on him. And you're right. I like what we saw from Chris. If things stay elevated above their swings, it really helps. But uh, – and Zane does his job. But – you know, it's fun to see. I got a lot of confidence in Jack O'Dowd, but I'll tell you this. The matchup was so crazy before 76 versus like 050, so it made all the sense in the world right there with some guys that can fill in defensively too. We don't ever want to give up defense, but I just like our options right now, and when you can include guys, it keeps everybody hungry, and it's it's good for our team. You know, you just mentioned it right there. I've mentioned it on the air. I really think that's during this stretch of the last month, defense as a team, as a whole, especially outfield defense, has been really good. Yeah, how about the play Porter Brown made today? Okay. I mean, that was a great throw. But we have. We've been running balls down. We've been, uh, you know, making great throws. Good to see Flores come in off the bench and do that because he's getting better and better every single day. So a lot of contributors, like you're saying. All right, the next thing is you get to go back home, but then you got a conference play over the weekend. This is a tough stretch. You yeah. played during a lot of baseball five in a row. No doubt. I mean, we were out EK today, so that kind of gave him a breather, honestly. Uh, may, may rest a couple of guys tomorrow or at least come off the bench again and utilize some guys. But um, we want to try to win the game, but also we've got to preserve some people as well. Yeah, and then that's where the, the, some of this really comes into play, the unique wrinkles of it. He talked about Jalen Flores coming in the, and all the – I know we kid a lot about analytics, and a lot of folks say analytics are overanalyzed, but that was one case where, boom, the analytics chipped in. It showed what Jalen Flores was doing uh, against that kind of pitching and that kind of situation. And and this was after O'Dowd had two hits and a walk. And you're going to lift him for a pinch hitter to put a freshman in there? Yeah. Boom. Double. Two runs coming in. So it, it, it worked out really well for that. Okay, so so here's game two. Uh, tonight, and this is what I was talking about uh, when I mentioned the um, the importance of this. Um, I, I know it's a tired subject with with some folks. Those three dirty letters, R P I. But uh, trust me on this, R P I is really a key evaluative tool. For the baseball tournament selection committee, uh, it, you know, because it's evaluating non-conference record, conference record, non-conference RPI, non-conference strength of schedule, 
all of those factors go into that. It is far more uh, detailed and used in baseball and in basketball because you've got a huge sample size or a much larger one in basketball than than in basketball when you have a 56 regular season baseball games. So the RPI is more revelatory in those situations. So, Cam, if I were to ask you right now, do you know who the number one RPI team is in college baseball in the country? Could you tell me? Well, I just kind of cheated, so I could tell you. But, <laughs> okay, but before, okay. before I looked it up, yeah. no, I would not have guessed who yeah. it is. It's Kentucky. And, in fact, here's something, that, and this is something that Keith Moreland and I got in a conversation about last night. He said the two power leagues in college baseball this year, without question, are the SEC and the ACC. Big 12 would probably be third, or Pac-12. It's close. But the Pac-12 is very top-heavy. The Big 12 is somewhat top-heavy. But the SEC and the ACC are the two power leagues, and the computer reveals it, and the RPI reveals it. How so? Number one, Kentucky, SEC. Number two, Virginia, ACC. Number three, South Carolina, SEC. Number four, LSU, SEC. Number five, Arkansas, SEC. Number six, Wake Forest, ACC, number seven, Vanderbilt, SEC, number eight, Florida, SEC, number nine, Boston College, ACC, number 10, North Carolina State, ACC. Out of the top 10, six are SEC schools, four are ACC schools. Two conferences make up the entire top 10. And you can pish posh it all you want, but the the, the numbers are revealing about that in a large measure because of what they do with their non-conference schedule. Then, then listen to this. Here's where the RPI goes after this. UCLA and Stanford back-to-back. Stanford moved up two spots last night. Uh, UCLA is number 11. Stanford moved from 14 to 12. Why? They beat Texas Tech, albeit at home. Texas is 13. When the games ended last night, and Keith and I were doing the postgame show, Texas had moved from 13 to 12 in the RPI based on the road win in San Marcos. Texas State, by the way, dropped eight spots from 84 to 92. So they've got, as Spike Dykes used to say, they got some doing to do. But they have opportunities with some upcoming RPI non-conference games and games on the road and conference schedule that will help them. So there's still time for the Bobcats. But uh, Texas had moved up one spot to 12. But after Stanford beat Texas Tech, the Longhorns dropped back down to 13 because of the Tech loss. On that, and Stanford moved in at twelve. Then you got Oregon fourteen. So uh, three of the next four in the RPI are Pac twelve schools. Then you got the aforementioned East Carolina Pirates. Then you got another AC school, C school, Miami. You have to go to seventeen to find a non Power five school, and it's a good one, by the way. Campbell, they're in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. They beat Coastal Carolina last night, so they got a little bump on the RPI of a couple of spots. Then you have your first Big Ten school, Indiana. At 18, Oklahoma State at 19, and Tennessee to round out the top 20. RPI does matter. It matters in college baseball. And uh, that was why. It, and, and even though Texas State dropped eight spots for losing to Texas last night, it was a home game, and that's where they're getting punished as much as anything. If they win tonight, and this is what I meant about the importance of this game, Texas may get a little bump or, or maybe not a bump at all, whatever, for winning a home game tonight against Texas State in the computer. If Texas State wins a road game tonight against Texas, they may move up 20 spots in the RPI. That's what the computer can do for that. That's what the RPI can do for you in college baseball. And it is an important consideration for the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. All right, up next, and and by the way, and Keith Moreland made a great point on this, we're coming up on tax time. (laughs) 
He had to remind me. Uh, Coming up on that, but right around there, around the 15th of April, that's where you can really start to pay a lot closer attention to regional projections and RPI and strength of schedule and things like that. Once you start getting into mid-April, because you're six weeks away at that point from the selection on Memorial Day being revealed, and you're locked into your conference, but you still have those Tuesday and sometimes Wednesday midweek non-conference games, and they can factor into it.